Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Labor Day weekend, the time when we celebrate the efforts of workers and the nobility of work, even as most of us take a brief respite from it. Now, Labor Day is certainly not a special day on the church year's calendar. Even so, apart from the infinite and eternal blessings we receive as we gather this morning around God's Word and sacrament, It is kind of difficult to get excited about the umpteenth Sunday after Pentecost, isn't it? So let's consider Labor Day. More specifically, let's consider your labor, your work. Now there are a lot of places we might start from for that. We could consider evaluating ourselves according to the doctrine of vocation. Most of you at least learned the basics of that doctrine when you studied the small catechism in preparation for your confirmation and your admission to the Lord's Supper. Perhaps you will recall that in uh, advance of coming to the confession, Luther suggested that everyone evaluate themselves according to the Ten Commandments based on his or her station in life, that is, according to vocation. You might also remember that there was a table of duties in there in which Luther listed a great many Bible passages that could be applied to us in the various positions we hold, in our families, in our livelihoods, in civil society, and in the church. We hold vocations as child, as sibling, as spouse and as parent, as student, employee, supervisor, subordinate, as citizen, voter, public employee, elected or appointed official, as redeemed sinners, and as those called by God to serve each other. If you're like most people, though, you probably don't spend a whole lot of time or stop too often to consider your various vocations or your callings or see how each of them and all of them working together harmoniously are not just God's way of giving you your daily bread. Your vocations are also means that He uses to make His kingdom come, to make His will be done, to lead you out of temptation, and to deliver you from evil. So too, your vocations are also God's gifts that are meant to realize that as you confess God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the first, second, and third articles of the creeds, that's how God works in your life and in the lives of others through His creative, His redemptive, and His sanctifying actions. But there are certainly other ways you can consider your labors on this Labor Day weekend, though. Now, if you don't want to consider the full breadth and the full depth of vocation and all of its richness and all of its nuances, you could always narrow it down to just those activities that bring you money. Now, that could include the academic work that those of you who are students do that will lead to future earnings. It could be your job that brings you or your spouse a paycheck if you're currently in your employment years. Or it could be the income that you derive from your savings and your investments 
from your pension plan or from the government benefits if you're in your retirement years. But that, however, is a rather minimalistic view of your work. How about considering your good deeds? Now, I'm not going to insult you by accusing you of thinking that your good works for God or for others are somehow going to earn your salvation for eternity. As faithful and confessing Lutherans, I'll bet you carry Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 around with you, fully loaded and with the safety off, perhaps even halfway out of the holster already. (laughs) Come on, let loose, let's hear it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, so that no one should boast. Now, if that wasn't your confirmation verse, I sure hope it's a close second. What's more, though, the Bible tells us that whatever good works we do don't really benefit God either. Now, they may please Him on account of our obedience, but He really doesn't need anything from us. In the final analysis, though, our good works are for the benefit of our neighbor, not for God, not for ourselves. They are to help meet the neighbor's worldly needs and also to give witness to our faith in God and our love for one another. By such signs, our brothers and sisters in the church receive God's love through us. And unbelievers may be drawn closer to us so that they might become more open to hearing and considering what God has done for them in and through Jesus Christ. Yet even so, the Holy Spirit caused Isaiah to write, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. So then, if even our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, or as other translations say, like filthy rags, how then shall we consider our deeds, our works, our labor this Labor Day? Well, work can sometimes be described as those activities we do to achieve a particular objective according to a certain set of expectations often externally imposed objectives and expectations. After all, isn't that what schoolwork really is? Isn't that what making a living is all about? Someone who is in authority over us says, do such and such a thing in such and such a way, and I'll determine how well you do it and decide how you'll be evaluated on it and how you'll be rewarded for it. As Moses was giving his farewell speech to the people of Israel in our Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy today, he was giving them encouragement and guidance to meet God's objectives and God's expectations. And the instructions were quite simple, really. Listen, learn, do, achieve, succeed, and repeat. He even told them that God's expectations, His statutes and His commandments would make them the envy of other nations. And so would God's presence among them. All they had to do was remember what the Lord had done for them, meet all of His expectations, and teach their children to do the same. 
Well, we all know how that worked out for them, don't we? Just as badly as it would have worked out for us had we depended upon our work instead of on our trust in God. Had we chosen to follow gods of human making rather than the Creator Himself. If we had conformed ourselves to the behaviors of the peoples and the cultures around us, instead of remaining holy and set apart as God has chosen us to be His own. Oh, that's right. We have done all of those wrong-headed things, haven't we? We have defiled ourselves, chosen the filthy rags, become a man or a woman of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. We are God's creatures and we are His people, it's true. Yet we have taken what He intended for us to be and we have corrupted it and defiled it by what is within us. All of those things that come from the heart. Jesus listed them in our Gospel lesson. The evil thoughts. The immorality. Our thefts, both large and small. All of our murders, real and imagined, of both commission and omission. Our adulteries of body and of mind. Our coveting. Our wickedness and our deceit. Our chasing after pleasures. Our envies. Our slanders. Our pride and our foolishness. Pick one of those or pick them all. Even a tiny sliver of this evil baker's dozen breaks the whole of God's commandments. As Jesus said, all of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And who is there to egg us on? To poke and to nudge, to cajole and to encourage? If our own nature weren't bad enough, we have the world cheering us on those who are outside of the new Israel, those who want the church to fall so that we are not a people set apart. So too, the evil one seeks to tear you down, to place obstacles in the rough and narrow path of righteousness, and to put enticing treats on the smooth and wide way to destruction. Lest we forget, however, neither the devil nor the world actually causes us to sin. They do provide us with the opportunities, that's true. Their temptations will always come as we know they must. Their encouragement is always there as Satan and his rulers, his authorities, his cosmic powers in both the physical and the spiritual worlds do their own labors, do their own unceasing work to lead you astray. But the sin, ah, the sin is all your own doing, my friend. You are never forced to sin. You defile yourselves with the evil things that come from within you on account of the corruption of your nature and the weakness of your flesh. All the wisdom and all the understanding of God's statutes and commandments, you thrust it down and you cast it away surely as Moses did those first tablets of the law which the Lord gave him. Pulverized to pebbles and ground to powder by the hardness of your heart. It's a process made inevitable by what we have become through our fall into sin. Where commandments are broken, righteousness is lost. Without righteousness, there is condemnation. And in condemnation, there is death. Where then is the hope? Where is the remedy? Where is our rescue? Moses gives us an impossible task in one lesson. 
And in the other lesson, Jesus tells us that evil things come from within us. Are we then doomed? Lost forever? Thankfully, no. Of today's lessons, it is the epistle that actually gives us the answer. From Paul, the student of the law, comes the Gospel. From the Jew of Jews comes the message of Christ. From the Pharisee of Pharisee comes direction to place your reliance not on yourself and on the deeds that you do, but on God's doing, on God's Labor Day, if you will. If you are to be strong, Paul writes, be strong not in yourself and in your deeds and your works, but be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Paul then gives us a listing of the components of the armor of God, and make no mistake, they are God's armor for you, not armor you have crafted yourself. And it is only through the whole armor provided by God and not through a few selectively chosen pieces of it that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Now the exact pieces of armor are not what's important here, for Paul was using analogies to describe the function and the work of God's gifts to us, so that we may have confidence that we are completely protected by them, fully defended, entirely prepared to do battle with Satan, and to receive the spoils of Christ's victory on the cross for us. Listen not to the words of the armor, but the words of the Gospel that Paul proclaims. Truth. Righteousness. Peace. Faith. Salvation. And the Word of God. It is through these that you stand firm in the Lord, clinging to His might and not to your own. Through Him you can struggle to, against the forces of evil and stand firm. By faith you are saved for eternity. And by faith you are protected even in this age as the spiritual warfare rages all around you and, yes, even within you. Tomorrow we may celebrate and we may remember the labor that God has given you to do. The labor for your body and for your mind. The labor for your family for your employer, for your neighbor, and for your country. But today and every day, rejoice in God's Labor Day, the work accomplished for you in the suffering, death, and resurrection of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May the good work begun in you at your baptism continue to grow and to flourish. May the fruit of His labor bring you comfort, peace, and joy. And may what comes out of you and defiles you be purged expelled, and replaced by the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. He never takes a day off. He never rests from His labors, but He works constantly to enlighten, to sanctify, and to keep you armored, protected, and strong in the faith. Jesus labors. Jesus saves. Jesus never rests. So rest easy. Amen.